Hey guys, today we are in lesson four of our resilient series. You can find these resources at pursuegod.org forward slash resilient. And today we're going to get to the topic of shame. And we're going to look at the story of David in the Old Testament. Here's a guy who did something really shameful and he followed it up with something even more shameful. And it's a guy that I, I think if you would have put yourself in his shoes, you might have bailed on God. Who knows what you might have done? But yet, amazingly, the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. And it's proof positive that you can experience shame that you bring upon yourself because of your past life, because of your sin, because of your poor decisions. You can experience shame and come out on the other end of it with a better relationship with God instead of with no relationship at all. And that's what it means to be resilient. Resilience is harnessing those difficult emotions to build your faith. The enemy wants to take those difficult emotions, just like anything, the enemy wants to do whatever he can to get you to bail on God, to get you to destroy your faith, to get you to feel unworthy, to get you to feel unlovable, to get you to stop going to church or to small group or to, or to get you to stop reading your Bible. And so many people, today's topic is, is great because so many people experience that with shame. Now, so far we've talked about anger. The enemy does that with anger. We've talked about fear, anxiety. The enemy does it with that. But I think today's topic might be the most powerful and relatable topics of all of the topics in this whole series. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking shame is always bad. Shame is never good. You know, anger can be righteous anger, like Jesus's example. Even anxiety or fear is something that God could use to sort of wake us up and draw us to him, all of that stuff that we've talked about in this series. But but probably at the outset, as you're thinking about shame, you're thinking, how could shame ever be good? It seems like guilt is a bad thing. After all, Jesus never experienced shame. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that Jesus experienced the shame of his own sin. But when you think about it, Jesus was shamed when he was on the cross, they spit on him, they mocked him. He experienced and took on everything that our sin meant. And part of what that meant is the shame. He experienced the shame of the cross, even though it wasn't his own doing. We're going to come back to Jesus here at the end because we're going to learn that Jesus is the reason that we can harness shame for good. That even the concept of shame, even as we think about shame and guilt and condemnation and all these things that we can bring upon ourselves, that even an emotion like shame can be used to build our faith, thanks to Jesus. So keep listening, because whether you're a Christian or not, whether you grew up in the church or not, I want to share with you the key to overcoming shame. And this is, again, this isn't something you're going to learn from a self-help book at Barnes & Noble. This is something that is distinctly biblical. This is part of the good news of the Bible. I know today's topic is going to be a hard topic. It's going to be difficult for a lot of you listening. But man, keep listening because at the end of this, you're going to find out what it means that the Bible gives us good news. The good news is that we don't have to experience condemnation or guilt or shame anymore. Now, we're not talking about being shameless, because shamelessness is a bad thing. 
It's a bad thing to be shameless. It's a bad thing to feel no shame anymore. If you're at that point, you, you've gotten to the point where it might be really hard for the love of Christ to reach you because the message of the Bible isn't that what Jesus did on the cross allows us to just live shameless lives and sin doesn't matter any, anymore. Everyone just, you just do whatever you want to do. That is not at all the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that Jesus sets us free from our guilt and sin and shame, but he doesn't set us free to sin more. He sets us free to no longer be in bondage to sin. Now, that's a completely different message from the world. The world says, do whatever you want. In fact, there's a great article. I'll put it in the show notes from Ligonier Ministry. It's called Our Shameless World. Let me read from it a little bit. It says, the world delights in bold sinners who flout God's word and expect no punishment whatsoever. Our culture celebrates the skillful, cold-blooded assassin, bold thief, self-righteous vigilante, foul-mouthed recording artist, creative rebel, blasphemous stand-up comedian, naked actress, fornicating glamour couple, self-worshipping athlete, and the like. Perhaps the clearest example in our day has been the movement of homosexuality from something almost universally seen as shameful to something that ought to be delighted in. The gay rights movement is seeking not merely tolerance of what God calls sinful, but society-wide celebration. Does that resonate with you? Now, maybe some of you listen to that and you're offended already. I just hope you would keep listening if you're offended by what God's Word has to say on this topic. We're not going to spend a ton of time talking about this in particular. We have other resources at PursueGod.org. We've done other podcasts on the LGBT thing. The kinds of thing, the kind of statements that we make or that this article is making can get us shut down because we're, we're told by our culture today to celebrate all of this stuff. We're told by our culture, everyone should just live their own truth. And the Bible has a word for that. It calls it shameless. This is not a good thing. I want you to hear me. If you're a follower of Jesus and maybe you're wondering how to think biblically about this, I hope you'll keep listening. In fact, I, I hope you'll just open the Bible and let the Bible speak to these issues. Ephesians 5.12, it is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. Our culture says, no, it isn't. We're going to do whatever we want. This is, a, this is to, to be celebrated. It's crazy what you can get on Netflix today. It's unbelievable how far we've gone in just a, a few short years. Our culture is flying toward shamelessness. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 1. Read that whole thing. You know, if you're in your car, pull, pull, to, the, pull to the side and open up your Bible or your Bible app and read, read Romans chapter 1. That'll be a great warm-up for today's topic. Let me just read a couple of verses from there. Verse 24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Now think about the contrast between that verse, Romans chapter 1, and the world we live in today that even so many so-called Christians buy into. This is crazy. Please, if you're a follower of Jesus, please listen to these words. Verse 27, 
And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful, there's that word again, men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Now again, it's almost hard to read these words today because I feel like I'm going to get shut down. I feel like I'm going to get all kinds of hate hate speech in response, or people are going to call this hate speech. Friends, this isn't hate speech. To tell the truth is not hateful. To lie is what's hateful. To deceive is what's hateful. God's word has something to say on this, and it's like God's word is the only thing that can't speak up anymore. Everyone else can speak up, the world can speak up and speak, quote-unquote, their truth. But when we read something like this from Scripture, Christians are getting shut down more and more and more. That's the world that we're living in now. But friends, I'm not trying to be hateful, I'm just trying to point out that this is what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to get you and your kids and everyone in your world to do shameful things, to buy into shameful things, to listen to the culture and to follow it, to follow your heart. But God's word doesn't say follow your heart. God's word says to guard your heart because it will determine the course of your life. So if you're not careful, if you fall for this shameless mentality, Just do whatever you want. It won't be the first time in history that it's happened because Paul was saying this happened in the Roman culture 2,000 years ago. Verse 32, this is scary. Here's what he says at the end of Romans chapter 1, verse 32. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Do you see the progression of shamelessness here? I mean, I want want you to really think about the progression that Paul is laying out in Romans chapter 1. First, you sin with a sense of shame. Everyone does it. You sin with a sense of shame because we all know what is right and wrong. Just kind of fundamentally, you have a sense for what's right and wrong. We do. We do. But then you start sinning without a sense of shame. That's the next step. And, and that happens, especially when you live in a culture that's encouraging it. So you sin with shame, and then pretty soon you start sinning without a sense of shame. You turn off that guilty feeling, that, that feeling of condemnation. And then number three, this is what he says at the end, worse yet, you encourage others to do the same thing. That is where the Roman culture was in, in Paul's day, and that's where our culture is in our day. Now we have people encouraging other people to live shamelessly, whether it's sexually or any other myriad number of sins. And so I want to encourage you, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you, please pay attention to today's message, because today we're going to talk about how God can use shame to lead us into a relationship with him that is life-giving for us and for the people around us. Here's how the Oxford Dictionary defines shame. Think about this. It's a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. 
I want to read that again. It's, it's so good to read that, especially in the context of what we just read in Romans chapter one. Shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress that is caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. So if we live in a culture where there's no wrong or foolish behavior, if we live in a culture that just says, follow your heart and do whatever you want, then nobody is going to be conscious of sin. Nobody is going to be conscious of what is wrong. And therefore, nobody is going to experience that painful feeling of humiliation or distress. That's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about shamelessness. And that's on one end of the spectrum. This is where the enemy wants all of us. They want us to say, what sin? I should do whatever I want. My culture says, do whatever I want. All the influencers in our world says, do whatever you want. We are encouraged. You know, the social media is platforming these people because this is the message of the world. This is the message of the ruler of this present darkness, who's the enemy himself. Years ago, I was writing a sermon and I had my phone out and I was just taking some notes ahead of time and sort of thinking it through. And I was dictating into, into my notes app, or I think maybe into a Google doc or something. I was dictating some words to remember to later on, go back to my office and write them down. And I, and I was trying to say the word sin into my phone and, you know, have it translated, you know, word to text, speech to text, right? And Google didn't have the word sin. It didn't have the word sin. And I remember just thinking, what in the world? This is a basic word. We use this word all the time. And I thought, wait a second. No, I don't think the world ever uses this word. I think this is a church word. I think this is no longer a cultural word. Google didn't even know the word. I remember years ago, my son, his buddy, his next door neighbor friend, just a you know unchurched kid, a good little kid, but didn't, didn't really have any values or morals growing up. And I remember saying to him or to, to my son, AJ, in front of him, something about disobedience. And he looked at me and he said, what is that word? He literally had never heard the word disobey. It wasn't in his language. Why? Because he was being raised by secular parents who were essentially teaching him there's no such thing as obedience, which is the same thing as Google not knowing the word for sin. So on one end of the shame spectrum, you have shamelessness. So just think about a spectrum, you know, from left to right. On one end of the spectrum, we have shamelessness. These are the people who do whatever they want and there is no such thing as wrong or foolish behavior, because who are you to judge? Okay, so that's on one end of the spectrum. But shame can also be bad on the other end of the spectrum. So on the other end of the spectrum from shamelessness is shamefulness. This is the person who is so burdened by the guilt and shame of their sin, they recognize that the thing that they're the sin that they're stuck in, they recognize that it's wrong. And here's the thing, the enemy wants, wants you on that end of the spectrum if he can't have you on the shameless end of the spectrum. If he can't get you to just write off sin altogether, then he wants you to be stuck in the guilt of sin, so stuck that you can't handle it anymore and you stop pursuing God. Some of you might be listening to this and you would say, that's where I am right now. 
I'm at a place where you're, you're, you're so depressed. You're so anxious. You have such a sense of self loathing because you read the Bible, you go to church, you know what God's word says, and it's tugging against you. Paul talks about this a lot in, in, in his writings in the New Testament, just this idea that, that we've got this battle going on on the inside. You know, you want to do what's right, Romans 7, you want to do what's right, but you can't, you can't help yourself. You always end up doing what's wrong. Maybe some of you young men or even some of you young men, women are struggling with a porn addiction. Maybe somebody knows about it, maybe nobody knows about it. But either way, you are stuck in that addiction and it is so hard that you're tempted to just sort of bail on your faith altogether. Because honestly, you're looking at people, maybe your friends in the secular world, and they seem to just be enjoying it, right? They're living the shameless life. And you're on the other end of the spectrum leading the shameful life, and it is eating you up. If I'm describing you today, I want you to know the enemy wants you there. If he can't have you on the shameless end of the spectrum. He wants you on the shameful end of the spectrum because he know he knows what it's going to do. Eventually, it's not resilient. Eventually, it's going to get you to bail on God because no one can live there forever. So if you're on that end of the spectrum, one of two things is eventually going to happen. It's eventually going to lead you to the other end of the spectrum where you're shameless now and you just bail altogether and your conscience is seared. And I'm telling you, so many people, so many people start off with a relationship with God, a pursuit of God, and they end up in this place where their conscience is seared and they're living a shameless life with the world and they've bailed on their faith. But here's the other option. If you don't deal with your shamefulness in the appropriate way, and we'll talk about how to do that. If you don't deal appropriately with your shamefulness, here's the other bad thing that you can do. And the enemy loves this, if you'll do this, is you try to deal with the burden on your own. In other words, you try to work off your shame by being a better person. Now, I know some of you are listening and saying, wait a second, what's wrong with that? Isn't that the proper thing to do? I mean, God doesn't want me to be shameless and join that other crowd. Well, no, that's not the right thing to do. Because the truth is you can't work off your guilt and shame by yourself. That's what religion tries to do. Religion tries to take by force what can only be attained by grace. Religion has a checklist of things to do, and you just work really hard at the checklist rather than going to the, to the cross, coming to Jesus, which is what we're going to be talking about today. That's the only way to handle your, your shame. That's the resilient way to handle your shame is to, is to fall at the foot of the cross and recognize that Jesus and Jesus alone can deal with your guilt problem, your shame problem. But so many people would try to work off their shame you try, to, you try to earn your worthiness before God. I mean, that's really what religion does. So many religions, so many religions do this. So many false religions do this. But you know what? You can even find this in Christian churches. People who misunderstand the gospel and they experience shame and their response to that is works-based religion. And that is a failing strategy. So there are three ways that the enemy can use shame to destroy your faith. He can get you all the way over to shamelessness. He can get you stuck in shamefulness. 
or he can get you working by yourself to overcome the burden as if somehow you could take by force what can only be obtained by grace. So here we are. Some of you are saying, man, what's the answer here? I mean, in fact, this is what Paul says, Romans 7, 24. Maybe this will resonate. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Now, here's the good news. Paul gives the answer in verse 25, Romans 7, 25. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want to read that again, because this is the this is the turning point now in today's episode. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, the only answer to your shame problem is Jesus. That's why shame can be good. Shame can be good when it leads you to Christ. That's it. There's, your, there's the big idea for the day that God can use something as bad and debilitating as guilt and shame because he wants to lead you to the foot of the cross. He wants to allow that shame in your life. It can be a good thing if it's harnessed properly, but he wants you to use that shame in your life to bring you to a whole new level and to experience the freedom that we have in Christ. That's what Paul says in Romans 8, 1, the very next verse after he says, he talks about this miserable person that he is in Romans chapter 7. He turns the corner in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought about the difference between condemnation and conviction? Conviction's a good thing. The Holy Spirit gives us conviction. When we do something wrong, we experience conviction. That's a good thing because it leads us then to God. It leads us to the cross to recognize that he sets us free. It leads us to freedom. Condemnation's a bad thing. Condemnation wants to get you stuck in your guilt and your shame. And what Paul is saying is that there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If and when you meet Jesus, you no longer have to live under the guilt and shame of your old life, and you don't have to live under the guilt and shame of your future life because Jesus has set you free from your sins, past, present, and future. Now, we'll come back to this at the end of our lesson today, but I want to just, I want to go back into the Old Testament. I mentioned that we're going to talk about David because David is a character in the Old Testament. Yes, it's the David that was famous for slaying Goliath, Goliath, that same David. That guy killed the giant when he was a teenager. Later on in life, he becomes a king and he establishes this incredible kingdom for the people of Israel. And you can read all about this in the Old Testament. Today, we're going to be reading about a terrible thing that happened to him, not to him, it happened because of him. He perpetrated this horrible sin that he felt so ashamed for, and it was a sin that just kept getting worse. Have you ever done that before, where where you sin, and then you try to cover it up, and so then you sin even more? Well, you're not alone. That's exactly what happened to David. And if you open up to 2 Samuel chapter 11, you'll hear the story. It says there in verse 1, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, this is important, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. All right, let's pause for a second and tell this the background for the story and, and then tell the rest of the story. See, David should have been out there on the field with his soldiers, but he wasn't. He stayed behind, and that was part of the problem here, we're going to see. 
So he stays behind. He's got some idle time. He's out there on the roof of he's on the roof of his palace and he looks across and he he sees this beautiful woman. Her name is Bathsheba. And so he sends for her. He finds out that she is the wife of a guy named Uriah who was one of his warriors, one of his generals out there on the on the battlefield fighting for him, fighting for Israel, doing the right thing. Uriah is a good guy in the story. David, spoiler alert, is a bad guy in the story. So he sleeps with this guy's wife, which is so shameful. Okay, that's, I mean, we could, we could spend the rest of this episode talking about that, but we need to move on to the story. We're just trying to hit the highlights or the lowlights of the story. She gets pregnant. Oops, your sin will always find you out. And, and so now he's got a decision to make. Is he going to come clean? Is he going to confess this? Is he going to be honest about this? Well, no, he's not, he's not going to. He's going to make it worse. He sends for Uriah. He tries to get Uriah to sleep with his wife to cover it up. If you can get Uriah to sleep with the wife, you know, there was no, you know, paternity testing back then, then all, all would be great, right? She, you know, she has a baby. He thinks it's, he thinks it's his. I mean, you, you get the story, right? He's trying to cover up this sin, but it's not going to work. Here's why. Because Uriah is too honorable. Again, you could read about this in 2 Samuel 11. He, he's not He's not willing to enjoy his wife while his homies are fighting it out on the battlefield. Okay, so again, you're reading this and you're like, man, Uriah has this incredible honor. I mean, he really does. He has this incredible sense of honor. He's, he's, an, he's a great man. Uriah is a great man. David is a loser. That's what I'm thinking when I'm reading this, right? So here's what, here's what David does. He, he goes even deeper into this shame cycle. He sends Uriah out back to the battlefield, and he orders, he orders, essentially, he orders Uriah to be on the front line, and then he tells the other general to pull back the troops so Uriah dies. And sure enough, Uriah dies an honorable death on the battlefield, and all of it was done so that David could cover up his sin. Now, I don't know if you're thinking about your own story as you listen to this story, but probably some of you are, that you can relate to this guy, David. You can think back to sin in your life, maybe a sin struggle you have right now, and think back to when it started, think about how you handled it, and I bet you, I bet you that you sinned, and then you covered it up, you justified it, whatever, and you kept sinning, and eventually you kind of get stuck in this, and this tends to happen. And so the question that we have, is there, is there any hope for a person like you? Is there any hope for a person like David? It's going from bad to worse. I mean, Paul said it in Romans 7, what a miserable person I am. Paul had his own skeletons in the closet. Paul did his own shameful things. So what about you? What about me? What does the Bible say? Does it say that it's just over, like you've, you've reached this point where you've gone too far and it's over? God could never redeem a person like you. That's the question on the table. Well, the answer comes in 2 Samuel chapter 12, because God sends a gift to David in the form of a truth teller. Now, this is so powerful that I'm going to read this whole section. 2 Samuel 12 verses 1 to 7, he sends a guy named Nathan, a prophet, says, the Lord sent Nathan a prophet to tell David this story. So imagine this. Nathan goes in, he goes to the king, and he says, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich, 
and one was poor. Okay, so he's talking about David and Uriah. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. The little lamb is Bathsheba. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. David, right? But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. And here's what it says. Okay, so remember, Nathan is telling this parable, this story, to try to elicit a response from David to teach David a lesson. And it says, David was furious. Here's what David said. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Could you imagine how David felt right there? You are that man. You're the guy. You're the one. You're the rich guy in the story. How dare, how dare you take Bathsheba from Uriah? How dare you have Uriah killed to try to cover it up? How dare you? And some of you might be feeling that shame and conviction and condemnation even now as you think about this, because maybe you feel like God is saying that to you right now. How dare you? But here's what I want you to know. God is a God of second chances. The key is how you respond to the truth teller. Here's how David responded. Verse 13, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's it. David confessed. He stopped trying to cover it up. And Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. See, the truth is, as you think about your shame and your sin and the guilt that you're feeling is you can't always escape consequences of your sin. The message today isn't that, hey, confess your sin and all the consequences will go away. That doesn't always happen. And it didn't happen for David. Nathan said that that baby was going to die for the sin of David. How brutal, how painful that was. In fact, go read it for yourself. David ends up fasting and praying all week long. I mean, he's disheveled. He's beside himself in mourning and just asking God to do something to please forgive and allow the baby to live. But at the end of the day, the baby dies. And here's what happens next. Man, what a, really, what a powerful picture of how to grieve our sin, but then how to get up from it. It says that after the baby died, David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. And he went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. And after that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. This is so interesting because it shows us what to do when we're caught in our sin and we confess it to God. And even sometimes God, God allows us to suffer the consequences of it, but David moved on. David moved on. Why? Because the peace that he had came from God. He recognized he sinned against God, and now he's, now he's recognizing that God released him from that. And he takes God at his word, and he moves on in his life. 
And for some of you, that's, I think, what you're going to have to learn from this today is we can experience the peace of God when we bring it to God and confess it to him. And we'll talk more about that here at the end. But we can experience that kind of peace. David did, and we can as well. In fact, God blessed David and Bathsheba with another son. That son's name was Solomon, who was going to be the next king after David was king. You know what Solomon's name is? God is his peace. I think that's the lesson that David learned in the tabernacle. After he confessed his sin, fasted and prayed, and then experienced the consequence of the sin, at the end of that, he goes to the tabernacle, he goes into the presence of the Lord, he worships God, and he recognizes that God, and in God alone, can he have peace, can he have freedom from that guilt and condemnation. In fact, the Psalms records a song that David wrote in the context of this whole story. It's Psalm 51. I encourage you to go read the whole thing, but he basically says, have mercy on me, God. I've sinned against you, but, but you have proved yourself to be right. You have proved that your judgment is just against me. And he says, purify me from my sins and I'll be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Give me back my joy again. You've broken me, but now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. That is the song that David wrote after this experience. And that's a song that many people for generations have sung to God once they've realized that God is a forgiving, merciful God of second chances. Let's go back to that verse from Romans, Romans 8, 1. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And later on in Romans 10, it says, as scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in Jesus will never be put to shame. Friends, if you want to bounce back from your guilt and shame, the only way to do that is to turn to the cross. The only way to do that is to turn to Jesus, the one who took on your shame at the cross, though he did not deserve it. He never did a single shameful thing in his life. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, and then he took your sin and my sin, and he brought it to the cross with him, and he endured the shame of the cross. That's what scripture says, Hebrews chapter 12. He endured the shame of the cross for you and for me. So if you're listening to this today and you want freedom from the life of guilt and shame that you've experienced and you never thought you could have it, I want you to know, just like David, that you could have it, but you need to turn to Jesus for it. Jesus can set you free. That's what it means to be resilient.